You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Well, good morning. Isn't it great to be worshiping together? The Spirit of God refreshes, it encourages, it excites. It's really good to be in the presence of God with, uh, when we come together and worship and sing, and it's the very fuel for the mission of the church. Um, I'm excited to be here. For those of you guys that are brand new, uh, welcome to being here at North Valley. My name is Ryan Rice. I serve as the lead pastor. And somebody, our first service was really full, and this looks pretty good. So let's just celebrate what God's doing here. So, yeah, so the first service was great. Man, I, I, somebody asked me, how are you doing, Ryan? And I said, I'm, I'm doing good, really doing good. I'm excited. I'm encouraged. I'm, uh, I'm experiencing more and more of the presence and the joy of Christ in my life. And I'm thankful for that. And it comes through just spending time with God. And I want to encourage you in this fall season that you begin to think about the great importance that you have, not only in your own spiritual life, to get connected to uh, Christ. And one of the best ways you can do that is through a neighborhood group. Um, but also there's such a joy and a freedom you're going to find uh, when you're out there in the faith zone sharing and showing the love of Christ. And so many of you guys got one of these North Valley uh, invitations. I want to encourage you to be thinking about a friend uh, that you can invite to our fall kickoff that's coming up on September 11th. And we're going to have a really, really special Sunday that Sunday. And then we'll be jumping into the book of First John uh, through the fall semester. So um, this morning, what I want to do is I want to talk to you about what it means to overcome opposition. Let's all say that together. Let's overcome opposition. That's the, that is in, that's in very, very important as a Christian and as a church. Um, in 1997, I first became a Christian. I made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. I surrendered my whole life to him. Everything changed from that moment forward. I was a kid who literally did a 180. I was a brand new person. I had a brand new heart, a brand new vision. And I came back to Little Rock, Arkansas, and I immediately went to my younger brother, and I went to my friends, and I started sharing about Christ. I faced a lot of opposition. I went from literally the most popular kid in Little Rock. Well, you say, wow, don't think too much of yourself. <laughs> I, became, I was one of the most popular kids in, in my high school. And I soon became the most unpopular kid I, I, uh, I, I, out of my friend circle. See, I felt socially rejected and ridiculed as soon as I became a Christian. And I would go on, not only from there, but into my uh, college university experiencing being the kid that constantly spoke out and was concerned about the presentation of Christianity in the public university space. I had to learn early on as a Christian that opposition is normal for a Christian. In fact, opposition isn't just normal for our experience, but it's also opposition there's in our country towards our faith, in the marketplace, in our friendships, in our courtrooms, and in our schools. You can be labeled politically incorrect. You can, as soon as you start talking about Jesus, it becomes a taboo conversation. You could easily be labeled uh, narrow-minded, a fundamentalist, or a bigot by being a Christian. And in their courtrooms, we face lawsuits of all sorts between church and state issues. In our schools, there's a continual increase to restrict uh, former freedoms of gathering in Jesus' name or even prayer. 
In New York City recently, a law was passed to restrict all churches from meeting on a public school. This church started about almost four years ago, and we started at a public school. And in New York City today, there's been 300 churches that have been shut down just by being a Christian church. Opposition is something that the church must learn to overcome if we're going to make an impact in future generations. Opposition isn't simply in our country. There's an immense opposition all around the world for being a Christ follower. Christians are the most persecuted people in the world. In Iraq, there's a Christian population that is now just 300,000. Formerly, it was 1.5 million. Christians have been leaving in droves from Iraq due to intense persecution. To be Christian is to have a target on your back and to potentially lose your life. In Pakistan, there's constant reports of mob violence. In Sudan, a woman was recently imprisoned for seeking a Christian marriage. In northern Nigeria, churches are often destroyed because they bear the symbol of the cross and it's an offense to extreme Muslims. In Iran, pastors are being imprisoned for their faith. Some have been, many have been tortured and some executed. This last spring, I had the privilege to interview Pastor Saeed. In my opinion, he serves as the icon of Christian persecution for all the world in the 21st century. I had the privilege to interview him here in Phoenix, Arizona, talk to you guys about the importance of standing strong in your faith. In China, there's local governments have issued decrees to remove all crosses as a public symbol of faith. And in the United States of America, we, while we do have some freedoms, Christians, I think, cower in shadows oftentimes, afraid to overcome the opposition they may have because they're a Christian. At North Valley, you need to be reminded that you're in good company. We're a strong church, a new church. And we want our faith to be very public. On September 9-11, we're going to debut a 9-11 memorial cross for the entire Phoenix Valley to know about. The cross is a symbol and a sign of our faith and love in Jesus Christ, that Christ is at the center of everything we do. And the cross is a sign and symbol also to remind all those that have served in uh, first responders or military, our armed forces or firefighters, that we stand with them and that we care about our country, we care about our community. This symbol of faith will be uh, presented on September 9-11. Those of you guys that got a card, I want to encourage you to invite a friend. We've got the cross under construction right now. You can see pictures uh, on our website in the coming weeks. And that cross is under construction even as I speak. We're going to erect this cross that's going to be positioned out on uh, I-17 for 91,000 people a day to see. What I want to encourage you to do is if, you've, if we're going to memorize a passage of Scripture that's going to help motivate us and challenge us and encourage us to take our faith to the next level. This is a memory verse that I've got, Ephesians 3.20-21. through 21. And if you would, go ahead and stand, and I'm going to read this aloud. And this is a memory verse, Ephesians 3, 20 through 21. Before we get started in Acts, I want to read this aloud. And this will be our memory verse for this year. Here it is. It says this, Paul wrote, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask 
or think according to the power at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. I want you to notice in that text, it's there on your program, that it talks about the power of Christ that works in you. That power is the secret to overcome all opposition. And it has been from the day of Pentecost when Jesus kick-started the local church. See, the early church faces opposition in their faith, uh, just like you and I face opposition personally and in our country and around our world. Jesus said this, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace in the world. And in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart for I have overcome the world. Jesus Christ had told his disciples, Peter, James, and John, and the rest of them, that they were going to face immense persecution and challenge. As we pick up in the story today, uh, in Acts, we're looking at a case study. A case study of gentlemen that were not afraid to share their faith. They're gentlemen that have been witnesses of the power of Christ Jesus has commissioned his 12 disciples to change the world. The Holy Spirit has been poured out on the church. And they begin to move forward and to share and show the love of Christ. Peter specifically has healed a lame man that has been lame from birth. 40 years old, this guy is healed by Peter. We're going to learn some lessons from the early church. The first thing that we're going to see is that they expected opposition. Jesus told them in Luke 12, 11 through 12, he says, when they bring you before the synagogue and the rulers and authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour of what you ought to say. Jesus had been working in these guys' lives, telling them ahead of time before they ever faced their opposition that they were going to face immense challenges. In fact, we pick up today in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. You'll see this. And it says, And as they, that is Peter and John, they were speaking to the people and the priests, and to the captain and the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed. Let's all say greatly annoyed together. They were greatly annoyed. Why were they annoyed? They were annoyed because... Uh, Peter and, Je- and, and John were doing things that only Jesus had done before. They were communicating God's word with such an authority and they were doing it better than they were. They were communicating things that they didn't even fully believe in about the power of the resurrection. The Sadducees were in charge of the temple and they were the ones that were put in trust politically by Rome to uphold the religious uh, ceremonies of the temple. They did not believe in the power of resurrection. And that's exactly what Peter and John were preaching, that Jesus Christ had raised from the dead. And he had the power to do more miracles. And he gave that power to his followers. So as they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus' resurrection from the dead, and they arrested them, And note this, they were not supposed to arrest Peter or John. They hadn't done anything wrong. They were simply sharing about what they've seen God do. They're witnesses. 
They arrested him and they put him in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. They did something that was important to show their prudence and their diligence. They didn't uh, give them uh, uh, any kind of uh, indictment. They didn't, they didn't punish them publicly. They put them in prison right away, and they're going to hold them. Now, it's interesting that we see that this is something I think that we're going to see as we move forward in the storyline to see this case study. Peter and John expected this opposition. And I think that you're going to see that they not only expected it, they kind of enjoyed it. Look at the response in verse 4-4. The response. But many of those who had heard the word, that's the preaching and the teaching of Peter and John, believed in the number of men that came, that came to about 5,000. That doesn't include women and children. And remember, there's already been 120 that were gathered at the early church. And then 3,000 were saved. And then here another 5,000. So the numbers in estimation from scholarly perspective is about 20,000 people in Jerusalem. The entire population noted by historian Josephus was about 180,000. That's about the size of my old hometown, Little Rock, Arkansas. Imagine 20,000 people in the first few weeks of this new thing called the church. People are excited about sharing about Jesus. They had not only, this man was not only just a man, he was what they believed the Messiah. And the Jews of the day were very skeptical and cynical about him being the Messiah. In fact, they believed it was a lie. But the problem was, is that the tomb was empty. The problem was, is that people kept getting healed. Christ kept showing up and the power and the presence of Christ was being unleashed upon the early followers of the church. Why? Because Christians weren't afraid to go into the faith zone. They didn't sit back in the safe zone. They expected opposition. They remembered Jesus' teaching. It's a movement that breaks out. The church is unleashed with the power and the presence of Christ. And it's moving from Jerusalem all throughout the Roman Empire. Remember this. What you're about to see is you're about to see the very first persecution of the church. And in years ahead, Nero in 67 AD, Rome's going to be burnt to the ground. The epicenter of power in the world at that time. And Nero's going to blame, guess who? The Christians. And from that day forward, systematic persecution breaks out all around Rome. They bring Christians into the Colosseum, let, unleash the lions, and let them get eaten alive. Christians are going to be the most hated and despised people on the face of the planet. If we're going to stand strong, we need to understand, like the early church did, they expected opposition. Look at this in verse 6 through 7. On the next day, the rulers and the elders and the scribes gathered together in Jerusalem. With Ananias, the high priest, and Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And, they, and when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name do you do this? In other words, who gets the credit here? How are you doing these things? We can't deny that you've healed somebody. We can't deny that we've seen incredible miracles take place. By, by what power are you doing this? Look at the response in verse 8. Peter, oh, there's our man, Peter. 
strong, courageous. Look what it says. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Said to them, rulers of the people. Listen to me. Peter expected opposition ahead of time. He had already had his speech prepared. He loved this. Because in essence, the Sanhedrin has gathered. There's 70 70 people that had believed in God, but not believed in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And Peter gets a front seat opportunity to speak to the people that oppose Jesus Christ as Lord the most. Peter leaned in and he had his speech ready. He says, rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, by the way, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this man is standing before you well. They realized without a shadow of a doubt they couldn't argue with Peter. The message of Christ has been proclaimed. Now there's 20,000 believers in Jerusalem where formerly was a Jewish city is becoming a Jesus-loving, Messiah-driven city. Jerusalem's being turned upside down because of the name and the fame of Jesus. The Messiah is being said to be Jesus, none other. And the power that Peter testifies to comes from Christ. Verse 411 says this, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. In essence, what Peter's doing is to a Jewish audience, the Sanhedrin, which would have been the equivalent of the Supreme Court, the Oval Office, all wrapped into one, he's presenting the claims of Christ and saying, he's central to all your Old Testament thinking. He's central to the Torah. He's the fulfillment of all the prophets. He's the cornerstone. The entire faith in which you hold to, you're missing it. He's central. He's the perfect fulfillment of everything that was prophesied about in Christ. But Peter gives hope to the Sanhedrin. He doesn't just beat them over the head. He gives them a hug and says, let me tell you something. There is salvation. He says, there is salvation, but it's in no one else. It's not in any, don't wait for another prophet. Don't wait for another Messiah. Jesus is that. He says, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The important for you to understand the essence of the gospel is that you don't have to do anything to become a Christian. Other than this, is know this, is that Jesus Christ is Lord. Believe that in your heart. The Bible says in Romans, if we confess with our mouths and we believe in our heart Jesus Christ is Lord, we will be saved. And it's in the name of Jesus that he's the only solution for our wandering heart, the emptiness we feel. And that message is true for Peter, and he stands strong. He expects opposition, and he clarifies his message. How do you share the gospel with your friends or family? I want to encourage you in three simple steps, and understanding the gospel message is simply like ABCs. You've got to admit that there's sin. You need to believe that Jesus Christ is the only one that can forgive that sin. And thirdly, you confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Peter wasn't afraid to share about salvation. 
but he rooted it centrally in Christ. This is not a pluralistic message that Peter shares. And in our day and time, it's unpopular and uncool to talk about the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. Recently, I was in a coffee shop and talked to a Princeton uh, student who was a philosophy major and told me he went to seminary at Fuller Seminary. And I said, great. And then I said, well, and then you went to Princeton? Yes. And he said, yes. And I said, and you studied philosophy? And I said, he said, yes. And I said, so where does that land your faith? And he said, well, I basically believe all roads lead to one. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one gets to the Father but through me. Peter echoes that and says this, there is salvation, but let me make this clear, Sanhedrin. It's in no one else, and for there is no other name under heaven which given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus Christ is the Lord. There is no other God. Jesus Christ is the exclusive offer of invitation for salvation. How do we position ourselves as a church? We are exclusive in our doctrine, and yet we are inclusive in relationships. Peter made it plain and simple to these guys. Hey, listen, Sanhedrin, there is salvation, but it's in no one else other than Jesus. The early church faced opposition for their faith. Secondly, we see that they stood firm. If we're going to stand strong and overcome opposition in our faith, we must stand firm. Jesus had told them this. He said in, in Matthew 10, 22, you will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. It's incredibly important to know that you will stand firm if you're truly yielding your life to Jesus Christ. Let's pick back up in this case study and look at the life of the early church and look at the response in verse 413. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated, common men, and they were astonished. In other words, these guys had not studied under any significant rabbi. They were people that had spent time with Jesus. Look what it says. And they recognized that they had been, let's say that together, they had been with Jesus. A couple of opportunities to think about for us is that when we spend time with Jesus, people notice. When you spend time with Christ and his people, you stand out. If we're going to overcome opposition like these guys did, it ought to be evident that we're spending time with God. Peter was confident, his message was clear, and he had incredible authority, and he was noticed. He started to sound like Jesus. Do you know when you go and you spend time with people, sometimes you sound just like the people you hang around. Recently, I went back to Arkansas, and uh, I was sitting there, and I'm, I, I, my, there was a video taken for our summer vacation, and I watched it here recently, and I, I was like, I was watching it, and I was like, good grief, I sound like a hillbilly. Well, that's because my dad is a hillbilly, my, my, my mom and my brothers, they're all kind of hillbilly-ish. And I so they're kind of like hicks, you know? And I'm like, when I spend time with them, it's like there's this hick switch. It just goes off, bam. And I, and I start speaking like a hick. When these guys are faced before the Sanhedrin, they say, you sound like Jesus. You speak like Jesus. Let me ask you a question. What do you sound like? 
you sound like the news and the media or do you sound like the TV shows you watch or do you sound more like Jesus? Do you look like Jesus? Do you act like Jesus? See, when you spend time with Jesus, you can't help but sound and look like Him. It's important for you to understand that as a Christian, we must overcome opposition because it's there. Every time that the church is going to move forward in kingdom territory, Satan always comes to silence the witness. Peter and John are the greatest witnesses in the history of the church. And what are they being told to do? They're going to be told to be silent. God wants to use you in the North Valley for Christ. And Satan's attempt is to silence everything you have to say about him. Verses 14 through 16, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them. In other words, there's incredible proof that these guys are doing something and they say it's in the name of Jesus. They can't deny this guy was lame and now he can walk. So they got a problem again. Just like they had a problem earlier when they couldn't find the body of Christ. The tomb was empty. Seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition, but when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another and said, what shall we do with these guys? They're turning our everything upside down in this city. Verse 16, for a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I mean, this is a movement of God that's happening in Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. But in order that it may not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak to no, no more to anyone in this name. In other words, they say, let's silence the witness. That's always the attack of the enemy. Anytime something good is happening in your marriage, anytime anything good is happening in your community, in the church, and God's behind the scenes, Satan gets mad. And the first thing he wants to do is silence your witness. He wants to fill you with fear. And God calls us to live in the faith zone, not play it safe, not live in the safe zone. Look at the response of Peter and John. And so, verse 18, so they called them and they charged them not to speak and teach at all in the name of Jesus. How do you think that's going to go for Peter and John? Do you think they're going to remain silent? Do you think that they're going to say whatever? Let's look at the text, verse 19. But Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you or rather than to God, you must judge. In other words, they put the ball in their court. They say, we're here by a higher power. And anytime the law tries to proceed and overcome our scriptural law, we're going to rebel. That's a note to self, is that anytime that the law calls us to do something that would violate God's eternal law, we shouldn't comply. It's the only cause and the only opportunity where there should be revolution. And here, Peter and John stand strong. Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. In other words, I'm not, they say, I'm not going to shut up. I'm not going to be quiet. I'm confident. I'm clear. Jesus Christ is alive. You crucified him. He was buried, raised again, just like it was said. And by the way, that power rests on us and every believer here. There's 20,000 of us now in Jerusalem. So look out, we're taking the world for Christ. 
I want to encourage you not to be silent. To help you to do that, we've given you this North Valley card. And on 9-11, we're going to highlight the cross. We're going to highlight the hope that we find in the cross. We're going to highlight the faith and the love that comes from the cross. Some of you, you don't want to remain silent. And that's, we're giving you a tool. And some of you are afraid to speak up. And I want to encourage you just some simple ways in which you can share and not be silent. You may want to leave this card at a dry cleaner. Maybe you've got a favorite dry cleaner and you pray for them. There's a dry cleaner down the road on 19th Avenue in Deer Valley. And in fact, those are a bunch of refugees. And they fled to our country because they're, they've been facing persecution. And they're here in the North Valley. And I believe God wants the church to share and show the love of Christ. Not only to them, but to all the people around us. You may take this and give it to your favorite dry cleaner. You may take this and give it to your hairdresser. Or maybe you pin it up in your, your uh, break room there at work. Or maybe you take it to a neighbor down the street that just moved in. And you say, hey, I just wanted you to know there's a new church in the, in the area called North Valley. And I want to invite you to be my guest. Maybe you take it to somebody who just moved in town. They're not on your street, but you take it to them and you say, hey, I just want to know if you wanted to get connected, meet me, 9-11. It's going to be a special Sunday. They, we've got an exact replica cross coming. It's a great church. Maybe you leave one for the waiter, those of you that are afraid. And you have been silent for far too long. Maybe you just take this and today after lunch or in the weeks ahead, you just simply lay it on the table. You tip good. And you walk away. See, Satan wants the church to be silent. But God doesn't. God doesn't want the church to be silent. Your job as a Christian is to be a witness. My job is to preach the word of God and to be a witness. Your job is to simply share what you've seen God do. That's your job. That's how you find your purpose. You start following God's word. This morning, we look and we see that they charge them not to speak, but they don't listen. Look at number three. The third thing we're going to learn from the early church is that they knew it was important to praise God no matter how difficult the opposition was. No matter how hard they were being persecuted, they're going to give praise. When I met with Pastor Saeed, who again is the icon of American Christianity persecuted, American Iranian, he said this, Ryan, I found it easier to be a Christian in the prison cells of Iran because I experienced the power and the presence of Christ far stronger than I do when I'm not being persecuted. I was tortured for Christ. I was threatened. I watched other Christians in Iran be beheaded and executed. And I found myself here in America fearful, afraid, but in Iran, when I was being persecuted, I was bold. See, Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 11 through 12. Blessed are you when people insult you. He says there's a blessing there. People talk bad about you for being Christian. You're blessed when they persecute you or falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Jesus said rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. What we do here echoes in eternity. The life we live now impacts eternity. Jesus said, for in the same way they 
persecuted the prophets who were before you. Persecution and opposition has been going on from the beginning. Anytime you stand up for God and you live in the faith zone, you're going to be challenged. You're going to face opposition. Now let's close out and look at Peter and John. It says, and when they had further threatened them, in other words, they pulled Peter and John aside and said, you've been talking about Jesus way too much. And you, in fact, you've been turning our city upside down with this crazy prophet man named Jesus. And we don't want you to do that anymore. In fact, if you do that, who knows what the threats were? Maybe they said, we're going to hurt you. Peter and John aren't, aren't afraid. They're very bold, very confident. Maybe they said, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna report you to Rome, and Rome's going to crucify you. In fact, Peter later would die a martyr's death, and he'd be crucified upside down. Peter and John aren't afraid. They'd been further threatened, and they says they let them go, finding no way to punish them. Because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. See, Peter and John started to praise God. And the 20,000 other believers in Jerusalem, it lit like a fire and began to spread throughout Jerusalem. And the authorities at power knew that if they stopped it, they would have a revolt and a revolution and they could lose everything. So they let him go and they thought this, this kind of freak episode will just have die a natural death and we'll let it go. But it doesn't go away. The name and fame of Jesus is spread throughout every continent. And the name and fame of Jesus is lit like a wildfire across our world. And there are more Christians than any other religion in the world. It says this, For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. This guy that was lame from birth, is now walking and praising God with Peter and John, with the rest of the church, and nobody can deny it. Here's what you need to know, that when you praise God, you're actually strengthening your perseverance. When you praise God, you strengthen your perseverance. Worship is the fuel for mission. When we get more filled up with God in His truth, we become more bold and live the life of faith that God intends for us to live. When we get more filled up with His promises and not the world's promises, we become all the more confident and strong. In our marriage, we believe when there's hard times, these are challenges that God can overcome. When we face hardship and difficulty of physical health, emotional health, financial health, we say, God's got the power to bring me through this strong. See, here's what's the takeaway. What do we need to know or what do we need to do to overcome our opposition? I don't know exactly what kind of opposition you're facing right now in your life, but I do know this. We must rely on God's power to overcome opposition. That is the secret to overcoming all opposition. The secret is the power of God in your life. It's not man's power. It's the power of Christ. It's not power from something else or someone else or more money or more status or more image or whatever else. The power that you need to overcome every opposition in your life is the power of Christ. We must rely on God's power 
to overcome opposition. Let's read this together. Ephesians 3.20, the memory verse that I want to encourage you to hold on to. Let's read this together. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. The power of Christ is within you. It rests in the, in the Holy Spirit. You are his vessel which he chooses to dwell. And the same power that raised Christ from the dead, the Bible says, has been poured out and given to you. And you are sealed with that power through the Holy Spirit. You have every opportunity as, as everybody else to exercise that power and overcome the oppositions that you face. So how do we do that? First thing I want you to do is like be like Peter and John and you get time with Jesus in the Bible. When you get time with Jesus, they're going to say, you seem like you've been spending time with Jesus. The early apostles, Peter and John, were told, by what power do you do this? And then they note, by the way, you seem to have been the people that were spending time with Jesus. When you spend time with Jesus, whether it be on your front porch or whether it be in your living room on the couch or your back porch, I want you to call upon the presence of Christ and say, Christ, meet me here today. Show up in your word. I'm ready for you because I know you've been ready for me. The power in the presence of Christ is not being exercised as it should in most churches. See, when we as believers say, I believe in a higher power, not just a power, but the power of Christ, and I believe in the Holy Spirit, then something unleashes into the life of the believer to live from ordinary to extraordinary lives. And God does not want the church nor the Christian to live an ordinary life, but an extraordinary life. Simply by doing this, recognizing, number one, you are ordinary, but God is all-powerful and capable of doing the extraordinary in your life. You need to get time with Jesus Christ and get that time through the Word. Secondly, you need to ask the Holy Spirit to fill you up every day. The Holy Spirit is my best friend. He helps me understand the difference between God's specific revealed will in the Word his general will, his acknowledged open will, and God's secret will. There's a lot of things in life that the Bible didn't tell me, like, should I marry Leslie or not? It told me the kind of woman I should marry, but it didn't tell me which woman I should marry. The Bible didn't tell me what city we should plant the church in. But the Bible told us that we should plant a church. But you know who did tell me that? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is your counselor. Oh, you have a counselor. The Holy Spirit. Every single day, I want to encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit to fill you up. Say today, God, as I go out into my job, and my influence, whether a manager or part of the team, you say, fill me up today. I want to rely upon your power, not my own. And do you know what God says? Yes, I'll do that. I'll fill you up. Lord, give me the strength to be bold in my faith. Lord, give me the strength to do what's right in my marriage. Lord, give me the strength to overcome my opposition. 
Lord, give me the strength to keep on keeping on. Ask the Holy Spirit to do that. That's exactly what Peter did, being filled with the Spirit. He spoke boldly and clearly. Number three, you need to build friendships with other believers. There's power in the pack. When you run together, you stay strong together. When you isolate yourself, you'll be weak. You'll get picked off. The Bible says that the devil's like a lion roaring. And he is looking for his sheep to pick off. You will not last. You will not endure. You will not overcome if you don't stand together. See, Peter and John didn't go into that Sanhedrin alone. Peter and John were buddies. And in fact, in the Gospels, it tells us when Jesus was raised from the dead, Peter set off like a foot race. And John was right beside him. And they raced together. All the ministry that you see in the pages of Scripture are done with people together. God doesn't want you to try to face this opposition alone. You are not alone. This church is filled with people that are going through hard times. This church is filled with people who rely on the Holy Spirit to get them through. God wants to use you as an example, not only to this church, but to this community at large. I want to encourage us as a church to adopt this manifesto of a young man in 1980 who was facing immense opposition. He was a gentleman in Rwanda who was forced by his tribe to either renounce Christ or to face certain death. In other words, they drugged this young man out and they said, either you renounce Jesus Christ or I'm going to kill you. And this Rwandan man, he refused to renounce Jesus Christ and he was killed on the spot. But his friends and family found this note that he wrote the night before. And I want it to be our manifesto for standing strong in being a Christian in the North Valley. Would you stand with me? And I'll read this aloud and let this be our manifesto. This young Rwandan Christian says this in his letter to his friends and his family. He says, I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast and I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I won't look back. I won't let up. I won't slow down. I'm not going to back away or be still. My past has been redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished and I'm done with low living and sight walking and smooth knees and colorless dreams and tamed vision, worldly talking and worldly living, cheap giving and dwarfed goals. My face is set. My gate is strong. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way is rough. My companions are few. My guide is reliable. My mission is clear. I won't give up. I won't shut up. And I won't let up until I've stayed up and stored up, prayed up for the cause of Jesus Christ. I must go until he comes and give till I drop, preach till everyone knows, work until he stops me. And when he comes for me, he will have no trouble recognizing me because I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Lord, thank you so much for the power and the presence of Christ in this room. Change hearts, change communities, change 
the world through your church. Lord, we lift up the church this morning all around the world. May the name and fame of Jesus move forward. And might this be an epicenter of hope for the world to come. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.